Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast. We're the podcast that makes you just crave nostalgic shows and TV and you just like, oh my god, I want it, I love it, I need it. And so do we. We love that shit. And that's why we keep coming back. That's why we haven't quit. Today, we've got a very military-esque episode for you. We are going to review the 1993 film Sniper, and we are going to review the all-American show from the 80s, G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, and we're also going to do a casting of Sniper. Very military episode. Uh, We usually do, like, bubbly childhood shows and movies that we watched as kids. All right, well, I'm Adam. I'm John. Sniper. Why are we doing Sniper, John? Because I watched it as a kid. <laughs> That's an intense movie to watch as a kid, I would say, to an extent. Well, it, and it's a lot like, uh, you know, like the Blues Brothers. It was a movie we watched. We probably watched it with our father. It was one that I latched on to because the movie came out when I was, I turned 13 at the end of that year. So I was probably about 12 when I saw it. And I just remember, I probably saw it on TV the next year when our father was watching it and just took to the movie. Yeah, I mean, I do remember this was a movie you watched as a kid. And I've, I've probably only seen it once before, before watching it for this episode mm-hmm. but yeah when i was going through our episodes to to watch and to do and sniper was the next one up, i was like huh so we've got like all these like silly cute movies and then and then boom fucking sniper <laughs> so that's cool it doesn't bother me uh it's i'm, I'm happy to be watching it and, and happy to be talking about it so but i'm just curious as to if anybody is out there was wondering why the hell are we reviewing sniper for a nostalgic silly kids kind of well not kids podcast because we say bad words in this show <clears throat> but you know we typically talk about stuff from our childhood but we did talk about the blues brothers so yeah yeah and that was also an r-rated movie so yeah i get it there you go 1993 tell us what happened in 1993 if you don't mind a lot of fun stuff happened in 93 we've already talked about 93 once before highest grossing movie of that year was a tiny little film called jurassic park At the Grammys that year, I'm going to kind of go a little, not a little, not really obscure, but a little obscure, but best male pop vocal performance went to quite possibly one of my favorite songs of all time, If I Ever Lose My Faith in You by Sting. I love that song. It's one of my, it's probably my favorite Sting song ever. Very cool. A couple of other fun things that happened. In the World Series that year, the Toronto Blue Jays beat the Phillies in the dramatic seventh inning walk-off home run by Joe Carter and the famous uh, baseball call of touch them all, Joe. Two balls and two strikes on it. Here's the pitch on the way. A swing and a belt. Left field. Way back. Blue Jays win it. The Blue Jays are World Series champions. Joe Carter hits a three-run home run in the ninth inning, and the Blue Jays have repeated as World Series champions. Touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Which I'm still bitter about because the Phillies beat the Braves to go to the World Series that year. And 93 was also when Coachella started, and it was started because Pearl Jam was boycotting Ticketmaster because Ticketmaster was, their prices were too high. I actually, I kind of remember that happened. I remember the boycott. I remember Pearl Jam yes. being upset that uh, how much it cost to go see their concerts and they wouldn't have it. And so they boycotted them. Yeah, I remember that was a big thing, but I didn't know, I didn't realize that Coachella was founded based on that. Yeah. When they, I think they went to, 
that area and that started the whole thing. That's cool. That's all I got. Those are some sweet facts about 1993 and we might as well just snipe our way right into Sniper. Pew pew. Sniper from 1993, starring Tom Berenger, Billy Zane, and then no one else you've ever heard of. Maybe you know J.T. Walsh. If you don't know his name, you definitely saw his face. Yes, and I recognize him uh, as, like, the dick officer from Good Morning Vietnam. He's been in a bunch of other stuff, but that's probably what I know him best. Which is a great movie. Yeah, a couple other people who you haven't heard of, Aiden Young and Ken Radley, who, don't worry, I haven't heard of them either. The director is Luis Losa, or Yosa. The only other movie that I kind of, like, recognized all that much that he worked on was Anaconda. My Anaconda don't want none unless you got buns, hun. And that movie... Whew. Oh, that that is not a good movie. <laughs> I think that's Ice Cube's best work. Pro- <laughs> Maybe. Well, over Friday? Uh, it's a close call. It's a close call. It's probably J-Lo's best work. Not, I would say J-Lo's best work was actually The Cell. Oh, okay. I think that's... Have you, have you ever seen The Cell? No, I've never seen it, but I knew it's a very funky sci-fi kind of film, right? I love that movie. I think it's great. I think it's a very underrated movie. I'll have to give it a shot. Uh, it's definitely not John Voight's best movie, though, Anaconda. No. That's- <laughs> That's for damn sure. <laughs> the music for this film was done by Gary Chang, who has done a couple other things that we've probably heard of. We definitely know Under Siege. We've actually talked about that before. Mm-hmm. Is one that I know you like a lot. Uh, and I love that movie for two reasons. <laughs> and then he also did the music for Double Team, which was that Jean-Claude Van Damme, Dennis Rodman film that really didn't go anywhere. But And then we had additional music by this little known composer. You may or may not have heard of him. Hans Zimmer. Huh did additional music for the movie Sniper, which is ridiculous. I'd like to know who did what, because I actually really liked sort of the music and sound production in this movie. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Especially when the, when they were in the in the jungles and stuff. I, that part of this movie I thought was really actually done really well. I didn't see exactly who yeah, did, did what song, but I did notice that Hans Zimmer was in additional music for the department, which is pretty cool. I'm going to rattle off some pretty cool stuff. Of all the names, I was kind of going through the cast and crew for this film, mm-hmm. and the person who stuck out when I saw worked on this movie is the director of photography, Bill Butler. I was like, holy shit, Bill Butler worked on this? Which I just thought was interesting because you've definitely know these movies that he's worked on, Bill Butler. He did Rocky 2, 3, and 4. He also did Anaconda, but that's not maybe <laughs> his most top cinematography. <laughs> cinematography they can't film. all be winners. Yeah, he did Hot Shots and Child's Play and then Grease, but the one that I know him from and that most people probably would, he was the DP of Jaws. Oh, yeah. Fantastic film. And then also, I want to throw out there, he was the DP of the second unit for a couple small films known as Deliverance, One Flew Over the Cooker's Nest, and possibly the greatest film of all time, The Godfather. So the DP is probably the best part of this film. Obviously, (laughs) he's the best known person for sure. Him or Hans Zimmer. You and I will have to have a debate as to whether or not we think Godfather is the best movie ever made. There is no debate because it's not. Okay, good. Okay, good. (laughs) I don't think it is at all. I like Godfather. I like the storytelling aspects, but I rewatched it maybe a year ago. It's very slow paced. The editing is really, really slow in my opinion. For me, Shawshank Redemption is the greatest movie of all time. I love that movie. I mean, it's at least my favorite. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's not the greatest, but it is my favorite. And The Godfather, yeah, it's um, a very good movie. And what it did for storytelling is fantastic but it's not the greatest movie of all time go back and rewatch it people it's pretty fucking slow <laughs> yeah hot takes we got some hashtag hot takes here on the blast from our best <laughs> podcast 
We're going to get some hate mail. It's going to be fun. I have a question for you, John. Yes, sir. If you had to guess how many spinoff films that the Sniper has had, like how many in this Sniper series, how many movies they've had, can you tell me, including this first one? Actually, I think I probably could. I think it's four or five. That's cute. Keep going. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Eight. Oh, you just just went over. There are seven. Seven, okay. Seven films in the Sniper series. So it's Sniper, the first one, Sniper 2, Sniper 3, and then they get to the, where they do the uh, the colon and then the other names, they don't keep the numbers. It's Sniper Reloaded, and then Sniper Legacy, and then Sniper Ghost Shooter, and then Sniper Ultimate Kill. And the last one just came out last year. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> It came out in 2017. Is Tom Berenger in all of them? I don't believe he's in the... He's not in Ghost Shooter. I think Ghost Shooter has Billy Zane instead of Tom Berenger, but I think Berenger is back in Ultimate Kill. I've never seen them, but I, I'm imagining that they're a lot like watching uh, Under Siege 2. You just watch the first one. You don't need to see the second <laughs> one. All right. Getting into Sniper. We start off in Panama. We've got Tom Berenger rummaging through the jungle in his ghillie suit. Ghillie suits look so fucking cool. I know. I have to say, I really like this opening shot of like a bird and like the, the focus on a bird and the foliage is behind it. And then the focus kind of switches to the foliage as it pulls away and you see Tom Berenger's face. It's called a rack focus. Uh, and it is cool. You get his face into focus and it looks really, really nice. But he's sneaking around and you see him. He's got his sniper partner with him called a spotter, which I think a lot of people don't know about sniping is that when it comes to sniping and sniping, teams you have the shooter but you also very just as important have another person who is on a scope doing the spotting a lot of people think that uh, snipers are kind of lone wolves and go out by themselves and it's not true most military snipers go out in pairs there have been some pretty you know good movies about sniping and and stuff like this and I, i as far as accuracy goes as to what it's really like to be a sniper or even really to be in the military i'm probably not going to say that this movie is the most accurate but it's a lot of fun so Tom Berenger, whose character is Beckett and his partner are setting up for a kill, basically. They're tracking this guy named, I think, Cabrera. Doesn't really matter. But we see that they snipe him down. They shoot him through the heart. (laughs) All the other guys are kind of not sure where the shot came from. So they're just like shooting blindly into the jungle. Beckett and his partner just kind of like slowly sneak away. The extraction helicopter comes in like two hours early. Beckett wanted it to be at night. It was not. So now they're kind of in danger. So they're trying to rush to rush back. One important line is the they were talking kind of just offhand before they heard the extraction chopper. Two more hours. Damn, I hate the downtime. Well, you have a leave coming up, don't you? <laughs> yeah. That fucking second i was like oh yeah you're gonna die <laughs> that was a, i was like oh you're talking about how what you're gonna do when you get home to me that's foreshadowing immediately this early in the film you're gonna fucking die yeah very soon and guess what happens john <laughs> he dies there's yes they're starting to make their extraction and the partner gets shot in the back by this other mysterious sniper guy that we see just this kind of guy with a with a rifle he gets shot down and, and he gets killed. Berenger was kind of first to the chopper, but he turns around and runs back, gets his partner against orders and grabs him, carries him back to the chopper in a 
semi-dramatic scene. So his ass is dead. Partner's dead. We get a, a kind of an interesting thing of Tom Berenger cuts off one of the dog tags that was on to his partner's shoes and he keeps it for himself. Mm-hmm. We don't really know why he's doing it at this point, but but yeah, we kind of at one point we see, I guess in like the next shot or so, we see Tom Berenger's kind of like moving like three or four dog tags through his hands. So you, you can tell he's gone through some partners. Yeah. I can see you trying not to use the term fingering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well he was but so to me tom berenger is not a very good partner he's he's good in getting his people killed fair although it doesn't i mean it doesn't seem like uh it doesn't seem like he's trying to get them killed if everyone just shut up and listened to him including the extraction team everybody would just be safe and and win all the time it's kind of i guess maybe the lesson that we learn from this yeah, film pretty much tom berenger is always right yeah he is infallible We cut to this guy named Miller, played by Billy Zane. Very quickly established that he's the new kid sniper. He's got like these sniper medals. He's a very, very skilled, like new, he's not really a kid, but like a skilled civilian sniper and not like a military guy. Yeah, they say that he won a medal at the Olympics. Yeah, silver. Which actually kind of comes back a little bit later. But then he's also, he's a SWAT sniper. He's not a military sniper, he's a SWAT sniper. Which begs the question why he would be on this mission. That part didn't make any sense, but I guess it doesn't have to make sense. It's a movie. No, I mean, and they keep kind of going. It's the NSC, the National Security Council, I think, who is like kind of running this mission for uh-huh. some reason. But yeah, they, they pulled him. It didn't really explain why, but it doesn't matter. We get established that Miller is Beckett's new spotter, and he's kind of like, even in charge of the mission, quote unquote. And even here that these very sketchy government types tell Miller that he is fully in charge. And if Beckett becomes a liability, that Miller needs to take him down too. that nothing can stop this mission at, at any cost. Which just sounds like a really weird spook thing to say. Yeah, yeah. Definitely not the military running this. No, I mean, it's basically saying, hey, you know, this guy that we're sending you out with, maybe he's going to be crazy and not really follow the mission. So y- you might have to kill him. Like that's not, <laughs> that doesn't instill confidence No. in your government. We just get some like other scenes of Billy Zane and Beckett won't get along, just kind of of people kind of telling them about what their mission will be with their other partners and whatnot. They really just do a lot of establishing that Beckett, who is the old gristled vet, and then Billy Zane, who is like the the fresh civilianish SWAT kind of guy. Basically, it's the odd couple with guns. That's maybe that's what this movie is. <laughs> that's a fair assessment. We get a scene of Miller flying in to the military base in Panama, and he's on this chopper, and the chopper ends up getting shot. Kind of a these other two marine kind of dicks. Uh, we're in there and one of them gets shot from up the bottom of the plane and gets like his throat shot out, which is, I don't know. I thought it was kind of funny because he was being an asshole, uh, right. but it's insanity because they're all trying to get this one guy who was shooting at the helicopter and Billy Zane's trying to like pull out his sniper rifle, mad chaos, and even has the guy in his scopes at one point. Did you notice how perfectly smooth the shots were of Billy Zane's scopes? Yes. You know, when you're doing the POV on a helicopter, it should be bouncing around like fucking crazy. Right. And instead, the scope was perfectly tracking the guy like without question. I'm guessing it's supposed to establish how good he really is. Maybe, yeah. Because he can sight the guy, he can't pull the trigger. And I do want to say, I find it highly ridiculous that one lone soldier would be standing on the edge of a cliff, <laughs> hip-firing a fully automatic machine gun at a helicopter which has a giant gun i don't know if it was like an m60 or something hanging off the side of it why would you do that john have you studied panamanian rebel army tactics uh no not recently 
Okay, okay. I would think your information's probably outdated because obviously in 1993, that was the way to go. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, basically Miller is scoping the guy, but he can't pull the trigger. So we kind of get established that he's maybe a little bit gun shy. But what does happen is the helicopter gunner actually hits the guy and kills him. But the other dude in the chopper assumes it was the sniper gun. And so he kind of like gives Miller the credit. The gunner gets hit and he dies. And in doing so, accidentally accidentally sprays the bad guy and everyone else assumes that he did it even though they're sitting right across from him and it would have been plain and loud and obvious that the gun would have gone off in his hand it was madness i guess it was chaos pretty much the rest of the helicopter assumes billy zane made this sick sniper shot from a helicopter but he knows he didn't He's a gigantic puss and he couldn't pull the trigger (laughs) right even when a guy is shooting right fucking at you right i could do it i could kill a man (laughs) all right moving on (laughs) So Miller arrives to the Marine base and he meets up with Beckett. Their scenes together are very much, we're not going to get along kind of scenes. They take this train, which is pretty much set up from that very first scene that Beckett doesn't trust the choppers because their extraction was way off. So he wants to walk in. And so they take this train into Panama as opposed to a chopper. And we get kind of like these scenes of them kind of really, really more establishing that Beckett is the hard vet and Billy is the new fresh meat. And Beckett even brings up that chopper shot and just how he's skeptical. You can hear it in his voice, but he's kind of like, wow, what a pretty incredible shot you did there. And Billy's like, yep, sure, (laughs) I did that. And by the way, uh, the the train scene is the only indication of where of how you can tell where this movie was filmed because on the side of the on the side of the train it says QR, which stands for Queensland Rail. Oh, for in Australia? For Australia, that's which is where they shot it. Not close to Panama at all. No, no. So they get to the jungle and we kind of quickly see as they're kind of going through the jungle, we see that they're watched more set up that Miller doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He slips and falls down this big fucking like not quite a cliffside, but a big like hillside falls into the river. But you do get a good moment of Beckett like kind of being like, OK, you did good. Yeah, because he, he protected his rifle. He, yeah, yes. he protected his gun. You a nice little sort of scene of him encouraging him at least being like, look, you did all right. If you're going to fall off a mountain, that's the way to do it. He doesn't respect Miller yet, but he at least it has a little inkling of okay this guy knows something because when he fell off the side and into the water he held his gun up so it wouldn't get wet and fucked so he knew that Mm -hmm. we get established that beckett kind of goes by his own rules miller's all worried because they're supposed to be going east but beckett is taking them west and so he's not really sure what's going on and beckett's trying to be like they don't know what the fuck they're talking about in the government follow me i know what the hell i'm doing Mm -hmm. us as audience everything we've seen i trust beckett he knows his shit yeah And we get a little spot where Miller is kind of caught by these locals and we're like, oh shit, are they bad rebels? But they turn out to be friendly. Beckett is obviously known him before, met him before, is friendly with this little kind of like anti-rebels or whatever the hell they are. A funny little line where he calls Miller. That's Rambotito. Rambotito? (laughs) Like little Rambo, I think is what it was. Kind of making fun of him. And instead of going to the main target, He's helping out these, I think they call them Indians in the movie, but so this group of like locals, he's going to have them go and take out these other targets to help out the cause in general. 
to help them, and in return, they will help the two snipers get past these forces to get to where they need to go. To get to the hacienda where their main target is. Yeah. But really, what this side mission is, it's a test from Beckett because he wants to see if Miller is really any good or not, and he wants to see him kill a guy so he could then basically get the respect of Beckett, and Beckett would feel safe with this guy who may or may not know what the fuck he's doing. Well, I mean, they have to rely on each other to survive, and if, if you can't trust the guy next to you to do what he needs to do in a, at the right moment then you're going to be screwed. So they're supposed to kill this guy who was like a former CIA. He's like a CIA guy turned bad who has kind of joined this Panama drug cartel. And his name is El Cirujano, which means the surgeon in Spanish, Mm -hmm. which we kind of find out later what that's about. But they're set up and they have him all scoped up. And Billy Zane is there and, and supposed to ready to take the shot. And Beckett basically is telling him to take the shot. And he says this very interesting line. He says, take the shot. Do it. Feel a rush. Feel the rush. Yeah. Which comes back to us. But this really tells us as an audience that Beckett gets a rush from killing people, that he enjoys killing people. Mm. You know, like it's what he knows. It's what gives him feeling now. Kind of weird, but it's important to his character. Yes. And I'm going to state this. There's a fantastic book. It's actually one of my favorite books of all time. Um, and and it's, a, it's a military book. Um, it's written by a former member of Delta Force, a guy named Eric L. Haney. And actually his book, Inside Delta Force, was the basis for the TV show The Unit that was on TV in like the 2000s or something like that. Yeah. The Unit was my nickname in high school. (laughs) Sure it was. No, no. it was Big Unit. That's different. Was it given to you ironically? Fuck you. Anyway, he talked because he he talks about his career going into the military or going through the military and going into Delta Force because he was there when it was first formed in the late 70s. And he talks about sniping and how you have to have a certain psychological psychologically you have to be a certain way in order to be a sniper because you can either. And this is actually I think this movie is kind of a it kind of shows both sides of the extreme. You either can't do it, which an example that he gave was the incident where some I think it was Palestinian rebels had taken some Israeli athletes prisoner at the Olympics in I think Munich and the German snipers who had been observing them the whole time when it came time to kill them couldn't do it Mm. they couldn't pull the trigger because they'd come to know these people through their scopes and they they felt for them they couldn't do it and because of that all of the Israelis were slaughtered oh wow and then there's the other example he gave which is the water tower sniper or the no, bell tower sniper. I forget what the guy's name is. I should know. I should know the name. Is, was that one of the universities in Texas? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember his name. Where the either. guy just cl- he climbed the bell tower and was just picking people off. And yeah. he, he just, after he shot one, he couldn't stop. He just kept going and going and going and going because the the rush of it. And he even says he goes at as as a soldier, he'd had people in his sights and he's felt what he called the siren's call of what it's like to be able to end someone's life from afar and they not even see you. So it is a it's a real thing, and this movie kind of shows both ends of it. That's some real shit right there. Yeah. So back in Panama, and we're trying to kill this surgeon, El Cirujano, and Miller has him sighted, and he does the stupidest thing, and instead of shooting him, he gives him like this warning shot and shoots like this water bottle or something that was right next to him, and then he points to him and shoots, and we can't tell at this moment, like, wait, did he kill him? But at the same time, it looked like he ducked. So we don't know. Miller thinks he might have killed him, but I also don't think he really thought he killed him. No. I think he knew that he didn't kill him. I think he was just hoping to scare him off. Yeah. Why, Why that would work, no one knows. So we really know that 
Miller is not a good, trustworthy sniper at this point. He just doesn't have the psyche for it. Which begs the question, how did he ever become a SWAT sniper? Yeah, I know. I guess, so he went his entire SWAT career without killing anybody or having to do anything, really? I guess he just pointed guns at people and that was it? I guess. There's a big shootout, basically, of people trying to shoot the shit out of... Beckett and Miller, and so they're escaping. We see that they're getting followed, and it's the same sniper person who gunned down Beckett's last partner. And Beckett, right now, lets us know that his name is Da Silva, and he's a Panama local guy that Beckett trained. And so, oh shit, Beckett, who we know is really fucking good, trained this Panama dude who has apparently turned on him and is now fucking like hunting him. That's some crazy shit. Yeah. They're just kind of off trying to escape that dude. And we get a funny-ish little scene of them sleeping in this. They're going down to hide in this stagnant water. And Beckett's telling them to sleep. It's like this stagnant pool of water where like malaria hangs around. And this shit that it's going to get you killed. He even tells Miller. Just take your horse pill. And don't take a piss. I'll just swim right up through your dick. Night. Uh, just kind of funny, but like, oh my god, it definitely makes me want to not be uh, a sniper if I have to sleep in malaria-infested pools of water and shit. Yeah. I guess the next day after they wake up, uh, they still know that this De Silva guy is following them, so they kind of see him, and there's this game of cat and mouse to an extent, and they just kind of decide, like, if they're going to keep going in their mission, they have to take out De Silva, or else he will take them out before they can do it. We get some more little dialogue scenes here and there between Beckett and Miller, like, in general, like, of the scenes that I've broken out. Uh, there's a lot of like little things in between where it's just untrust um, and the differences between Beckett and Miller in general. Yeah. They then get to like this little village and shit just feels wrong. Like nobody's around and Beckett knows something's up. They find this dead priest in like this little church and he's got like most of his fingers cut off. And you're like, what the fuck's going on? Well, and this is the contact that uh, Beckett talks about earlier in the movie. Yes, exactly. This is the contact. And so now their contact is dead. And so Miller's like freaking out and he wants to go home. Uh, We get a really good line where Miller is saying like, Our contact is dead. All we do now is get the hell out of here. I never turned back on a mission in my life and I ain't starting now. Such gung-ho bullshit. Without the specifics, it's a suicide mission. They're all suicide missions. I wouldn't be out here unless I was ready to die. Now, we've got our location, we've got our targets, and we got our time frame. You're out of your fucking mind. It's a very kind of real line I, I, that I would assume, you know, someone who understands their position and what they're doing as a, a covert sniper that you have to realize in every fucking chance you're probably, or you, you might not be coming back. Well, and you also kind of get a sense of maybe Beckett wants to die. There's definitely aspects of that. I want to mention something that did kind of bother me about the scene when they're walking into the village. Both of them are come in with their rifles on their hip. They're moving around like Rambo with sniper rifles at their hip. It's designed for a single shot, and you have a big-ass scope on the top of it. No one ever moves like that. No real soldiers ever move like that. They don't come in with the with the, the gun on their hip. Nobody shoots like that. <laughs> not since the rifleman. I've played a lot of modern warfare, and I can tell you, <laughs> I know a little something about hip fire. It's effective. <laughs> sure. Uh, it is- if you have a fully automatic machine gun, <laughs> like a saw or something like that, but not a not a single shot. And Miller's gun, which is an H&K SR9TC, which is actually a civilian version of a military gun so you do he wasn't even using a military gun he was using the civilian version of it is i think semi-automatic but beckett's is an m40a1 and it's a bolt action which means if he fires it he's got to rack the bolt again <laughs> yeah so we, there's no there's no reason why he would they would be carrying at the hip 
that part, I noticed that one right away as they were walking in, and I was like, that's not real. <laughs> come on. We don't come from a military family, really. I only know of really one fairly close relative that was ever in the military at all. But even I could recognize that that was stupid. And that's been Military Gun Tactics with Adam and John. <laughs> Hope you're having a good time. <laughs> the least qualified people to talk about yeah. that. <laughs> yes. So we get... Beckett and Miller are still kind of walking. We get Beckett dropping off something on the ground. I really don't know what it is, but it's just kind of like a clue of where they're going. He's leaving little breadcrumbs for De Silva to follow them. So they set up camp. Beckett tells Miller to go to sleep. We see a shot of De Silva picking up whatever the hell Beckett left on the ground. Now I kind of immediately watching this realized, oh shit, Beckett is, is using Miller for bait. And he's now hunting De Silva. And we get a pretty cool little back and forth cat and mouse, like Beckett hunting De Silva, Silva hunting Beckett little scene here. But at the end of it, Beckett uses a cool little trick, you know, uh, fashioning his knife on a rope to distract De Silva. And when he turns around, Beckett shoots him through the fucking scope right in the eye and kills him. Which is actually based on a real thing that happened. Oh, really? Yes. If, uh, if you've ever seen the movie American Sniper, you know that Chris Kyle was one of the most successful snipers in American history. Before him was a guy named Carlos Hathcock, and he was a Vietnam sniper. And he reportedly made that shot against another sniper in Vietnam. And it was corroborated by his spotter. Okay. Apparently that was a shot that happened, uh, but Carlos Hathcock was one of the most uh, successful snipers in U.S. history up until Chris Kyle in the 2000s. I mean, he, he's he's a legend in the in the military world because of it. And so that's Legends of the Military World with Adam and John. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Fuck you, Adam. <laughs> Sorry. So De Silva is now de dead. <laughs> <laughs> And Beckett and Miller make it to the Hacienda, where their main target is. They actually have two targets, Alvarez and this other guy, Ochoa. Alvarez is kind of like the leader of this, I guess, rebel alliance or whatever. But Ochoa is like the main drug lord. Mm -hmm. They get set up and like Miller's posted up in like this little metal barnish kind of thing. Which also makes no sense to me. <laughs> yeah, he gives him like a ghillie suit and then he puts him in a fucking barn. Right. It, yeah, that was weird. And then Beckett is kind of off in these trees. The surgeon, the El Cirujano, who he told Beckett that he had killed, shows up. And so now Beckett fully knows that, you know, it was all bullshit. And you kind of get this scene of them scoping each other out and kind of like flipping each other off, fake talking to each other. Yeah, exactly. Flipping each other off and just realizing that Miller's bullshit actions. Beckett calls him a lying bastard. Yeah. At this point, Beckett, his position, he can't see. There's a truck in the way. And so he's got to get a new position. And so he has to kind of like sneak his way around. And he uses his ghillie suit. We get a really kind of cool shot of him very being slow moving with his ghillie suit. You can't really. And they kind of pull out wide up top uh, as an overhead shot. You can't see him at all. Like ghillie suits to me are badass and they need to be used more often if they're <laughs> that good. That seems like a, a very good showing of you know, what it's really like to actually use it. You see him actually like take some of the grass and area from the area and start putting it in his ghillie suit, which is what's what they would really do with that. Yeah. Again, I'm not a professional, but I've done a lot of reading. You definitely see how much better this Beckett is than Miller because Beckett's first position is like deep in the woods and then he has to get closer. So he, you know, he uses camouflage. Miller who has his ghillie suit, is in a barn. Not only is he in a barn, but he's sitting right at the edge of the barn near the yes. window where it's... Pointing his gun out. Where he's going out the slot. Yeah. Where you would never do that. You would always go to the back of the room to use the 
Darkness as a cover, they're, I don't know if they're just trying to show that or if they thought that was really a good thing for him to do. Really shows his inexperience. And that's been Sniper Tactics with Adam and John. I'm going to fucking that t- murder you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to snipe your ass. Uh, good luck with that. Uh, one thing that they do well is also show what I would assume would be how, like, yeah, real snipers have to, like, wait days to get the shot that they need. Yeah. Beckett is, like, in this ghillie suit in the middle of, like, this fucking lawn basically and he has to like wait for days and night comes he still has to stay there these dogs come and like oh shit dogs are gonna be able to smell him you know through the ghillie suit and show so he's worried but luckily beckett finds some horse turds around him and pulls him in close and hides this his scent with uh horse shit and so the dogs sniff that and move on from there. I don't know that that would really be that effective to just move it a little bit closer, uh, yeah. but it's a good idea. Yeah, it worked for the film. Yeah. So our main targets arrive, Alvarez and Ochoa. One of the first guys that comes out of the car that the dude arrived in has like this submachine gun that has the biggest fucking scope I've ever seen <laughs> on it. Did you notice yeah. that gun? Yes. It was ridiculous. Like it was like a legitimate, just like a, you know, like a shoot fire from the hip kind of fucking gun like a submachine gun thing that's just meant to spray he has a scope that is bigger than any of the other sniper rifle scopes it's it's ridiculous it is i think it's an mp5 which is a, a pretty standard workhorse submachine gun but yeah the size of the scope on the mp5 does not make any sense that gun is not designed to be a long shot gun it's it's a short range almost spray and pray gun but at this point Beckett has now noticed that Miller is very bad exactly at what you said and he's poking his fucking gun out and he's it's obvious where he is and that he's been spotted and there's this other dude around the corner ish who's gonna take out Miller and shoot him right and so Beckett then hurries over there and has this little knife fight with this dude basically saves Miller's life but at the same time Miller at this point actually takes the shot and kills Ochoa uh, one who is one of the targets the guy he was supposed to kill yeah but he's all pissed at that Beckett because he didn't know what the hell Beckett was doing. Beckett was saving his fucking life. Yeah. So Miller escapes, but everybody notices Beckett because Beckett killed this dude and like threw him out the window of this other bar. And that guy who also looked like he was a sniper was also wearing a ghillie suit. And the other thing that didn't also make sense, and actually this always bothered me. So this part I did notice even when I was a kid, the other guy sees Miller doesn't shoot him, doesn't raise an alarm, but Beckett somehow has time to run over to the barn, climb up the ladder, and the guy's gun is just sitting there. Yeah, he wasn't, maybe he went to go take a crap or something, John. I (laughs) I don't know. Who knows? (laughs) He needed to steady himself for the shot, and I would imagine that would help. He was too excited. Yeah, (laughs) I guess so. He looked, actually, when they're in the the knife fight, he looks a little coked out. (laughs) Yeah. It's possible there's a drug cartel. That's true. Maybe that's what he was doing. Yeah, maybe he was getting amped up for the kill. But pretty much the entire rebels see Beckett and they go after him. Beckett escapes by lighting fucking everything on fire. He like he like burns this field that he's running through. He, yeah, he's running field. through a field and he throws. I can't tell if it's a grenade or if it's like a flashbang. And I don't know that either of those would actually set those on fire. But I mean, it might. Yeah, a grenade definitely wouldn't, but I maybe a flashbang because a grenade maybe is just a like a frag or grenade. some sort of phos- phosphorus grenade or something like that. Yeah, so he like uh, burns up this whole cornfield, but he gets away, and then him and Miller meet up, and then they fight. Now they're fighting, and they're having all these problems, and 
Miller is now trying to fucking kill Beckett. He like t- he takes his knife and tries to stab him in the head with it. Okay, so what you get after they've run into the woods is now Miller is going through the psychological recourse of having killed someone through the scope and yes. they're trying I think they're trying to show what he's going through mentally. Although it doesn't make any sense cuz right now he's in a in a fight or flight mode. They're still trying to just get out. That seems like this should have been something that happens later that they would have to deal with the recourse for because now he's just trying to get out. But that, that's I think that's what they're they're trying to show. They're tr- trying to show the the sort of mental anguish he's he's having to get over from having killed his first person. Yeah. So they're kind of fighting. The rebels find them and come. Beckett and Miller kind of like split up. And now Miller's like legitimately shooting at Beckett and he's like hunting him. And he's legitimately trying to shoot him with his gun. Yeah, you kind of see the psychosis. Yeah. I guess if you if you killed a man, uh, you know, what might happen to you? Not me. I'd be fine. But <laughs> Miller's losing it. We actually even get a shot at one point. Miller, you know, has Beckett in his sights and he's going to kill him. And then he hears something behind him and it's one of the rebels and Beckett ends up shooting and killing that guy. And so he saves, he's saving Miller's life right and left and Miller's just not getting it. We get some more of Miller losing it. At one point he sees like this like rundown little house or whatever and he sees a shadow and he starts shooting the shadow and it's his own shadow and he's completely gone at this point. Uh, And he ends up like kind of like laughing, just realizing just how, how ridiculous he is right now and how bad things are and his mental state is uh he's a little gone beckett comes in and i think beckett knows what he's actually going through yeah it's just a bad time for him to go through it they have a good little talk you know they kind of actually at this point they bring back up the rush and and miller kind of like calls beckett out for that line about the rush that he gets when he kills people i'm out of bullets do it so come on and shoot me already you feel the rush I felt it. Felt it when I had you in my crosshairs. After you pull the trigger, when the rush is over, it hurts, doesn't it? Hurt you're feeling now ain't the worst pain. The worst thing is not feeling the hurt anymore. And you just kind of kill people and it you just shrug it off. Yeah. We kind of get some actual human emotions from from Beckett and Miller here in this dialogue that they've got of this back and forth of like, you know, what killing people does to you. It's definitely a, a, a turning point for both of them and in their sort of relationship together as work partners, I guess, in this. The rebels come and Miller ends up getting away, but Beckett is captured. Which I think Beckett does on purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so too. He's trying to get Miller out of there. I think he buys Miller time to get away, but I don't think I don't think he ever planned on trying to escape. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he was just gonna either get killed or captured, whichever happened first. Alvarez confronts Beckett along with the surgeon, El Cirujano. Now we kind of really connect why he's called the surgeon. We also saw, so we saw those severed fingers from the priest earlier, and this is how they're torturing Beckett. He gives Beckett a feel of like this pistol's trigger finger and says it's going to be the last time. And then he kind of like puts a, uh, a tourniquet, right. like a little mini tourniquet on Beckett's index finger, his firing finger, and he cuts it off. Uh, we don't really see the finger come off, but you know what's happening from the screams. Yeah. And that's why he's the surgeon, John, because uh, he's cutting people's fingers off (laughs) there you go so miller does not escape he actually clears his head a little bit and is going to come and save beckett i think maybe partly he maybe realized that beckett saved his life again and miller's now trying to finally step up he ends up killing alvarez very silently with a knife through his throat which is a pretty cool shot behind a wall yeah that actually that was kind of a neat little uh kill 
Then he ends up killing El Cirujano, the CIA surgeon, and saves Beckett and ends up carrying him off. Before we kind of go through that, we kind of have to backtrack a little bit. When uh, Miller ends up shooting his shadow, he runs out of ammo. And he even says, he says, I'm out of ammo. When Beckett surrenders, he holds his gun above his head and then he, he opens up the chamber and one bullet falls out. A full bullet that hasn't been discharged. So not the shell, but the whole bullet. You see it fall in the sand. And so you have to assume that Miller goes back and picks up that bullet and uses it in his gun. Then he sets up the shot. Beckett knows that he only has one bullet. So he's trying to tell Miller. Yeah, there's a whole dramatic thing of like while he's being tortured, the surgeon can't really tell what's going on. But Beckett sees Miller like behind them. He sees the reflection of his uh, scope and deduces that he's there and tries to tell him one shot, two kills, which the tagline of the movie is one shot, one kill. But yeah, so he wants Miller to kill El Cirujano and him together in this one shot. Right. But Miller doesn't do that. Miller kills just the surgeon and then he carries off and he saves Beckett. We get an extraction scene and it's kind of like pulling back to our memory from the very first scene in the film and we're like, oh shit, something's going on because there's actually another rebel guy who comes and you think might kill Miller in the back, just very similar to the partner in the very first scene. Right. But Beckett kind of foresees this or something he notices the guy who's coming around behind miller and he pulls out his pistol and he at first he he tries to like shoot it with his stumpy finger but then he realizes he can't so he switches it to his middle finger but then that doesn't work so he swaps it to his left hand and he shoots this guy with his left hand and miller survives beckett survives they fly away i do kind of wish as they were flying away maybe there was another person and we would have gone back to that chopper sniper shot uh-huh. and maybe it could have like we could have gotten back to that and then this time miller actually did a helicopter sniper shot right and just be like he is that good and now he can kill people and he's like that much better but we don't get that yeah we just get kind of like i guess the the revamp from that very first scene well and that would that would go against uh, miller running out of ammo and only having the one shot to kill Sirhano. True. Or... true 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 and even beckett like calling out you know like that shot's pretty much impossible right but Oh, well, uh, that's the end of the movie, John. Yeah, this is definitely not the regular kind of cheery film that we normally review. It honestly did remind me to an extent of Rambo First Blood, which I watched for the first time last year. And if you haven't seen it, I actually highly recommend it because the very first Rambo film is actually a real thinker. It's a good film that really goes into like PTSD and how these trained killers don't know how to do anything else. And so they're just going to go kill after they get out of the, out of whatever their war situation or, you know, they get discharged or whatever. Right. Um, so it's really not, you know, it became like a parody, like through later films. I imagine very similar to how this sniper, like later iterations of the sniper film just became like stupid action movies. Right. Just how like, yeah, the Rambo ones became stupid action movies. But this film, very similarly to Rambo, deals with the mental side of being in the military. Yeah. This movie's not great. It's not fantastic i wouldn't say it's as good as rambo first blood in my opinion but it has some of those elements that you pull out that you're like okay this is more depth than just i'm gonna be this badass sniper and go killing everybody like there's actually some shit in here some real deep shit so it's not fantastic but it's it's worth a watch and it was better than i was expecting because i haven't seen this movie i don't know probably since i was maybe 14 or so myself Mm -hmm. yeah it's been like at least 15 years for me and so yeah so i thought i was i was pleasantly surprised 
good. I really do like this movie. I try to watch it uh, once every couple years. Uh, I'll either find it on TV or I, I have it on DVD. I'll throw it in just to watch it. As I've gotten older and, and I've gotten to know people in the military who know this movie, you know how inaccurate some of it is as to what it's really like. But that part of the, uh, the psychosis of it, I think, is what makes it a really good, deep movie. And there's some fun stuff. There's, you know, some fun sniper shots and stuff like that. Because you got to have that in a in a military movie. And it's just, I don't know. I've always sort of attached myself to this movie. I've always really enjoyed it. I enjoy the relationship between Beckett and Miller and how it develops by the end of the movie. I really like this one. I recommend it if you've never seen it. But you probably don't need to see any of the other six. Yeah, I w- I've never seen them and I, I probably will never go see them. Probably will never either. So that was Sniper. All right, now we're going to talk G.I. Joe, the 80s cartoon that ran from... Actually, there was it was all over the place. So there was a G.I. Joe miniseries that ran in 83, another miniseries that ran in 84, the cartoon that ran from 85 to 86, then they had their movie in 87, and then they had another miniseries in 89, and then another show popped back up. They call it Series 2 from 1990 to 92. And all of that that I just talked about is kind of all under the umbrella of G.I. Joe Real American Hero. I don't know what you watched. I only watched episodes from the 85 to 86 show. I, I kind of like watched bits and some clips from some of the other stuff, but I only really watched full episodes from the 85 to 86 show. I jumped around. I saw shows from every season except for two. I saw the pilot from one, and then I saw one in three, one in a couple in four, a couple in five, one in six, and I think one in seven. Okay, so you're all over the place. Yeah. So G.I. Joe basically based off of the toys that started, I think, in the 60s. The show, the cartoon itself, is really based off the comic book, which was from, I believe, Marvel Comics, that was based off of the toys. And I want to get right into the toys for a little bit. Yeah. So we didn't have, like, the the classic toys that were, like, fucking 20 feet tall or whatever, however big they were. We had, like, those 80s hard plastic, short, like, you know, three-inch toys. And we had a bunch of them. We had a bunch of different guys. I remember we had Destro, Cobra Commander, coupled like plenty of different. I mean, there's so many different characters in this show to help sell toys that we had so many of them. And I loved them. I used them all the time. I used them for like, you know, I would stage wars. Oh, yeah. And I, w- I would like take our mom's like yarn or thread and like tie some of them up and like have little like G.I. Joe POWs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then a couple others I would like hide in our house plants. She told me that she would find them in our house plants all the time because I would have them up there like being like little snipers or some shit. Right. Yeah, they were just ridiculous like they, they are a staple of any 80s kids action figure collection yes i do remember i had a snake eyes i remember i took i for some reason i took him with me to school one day lost him and was devastated and mom would not buy me another one <laughs> so she's like nope you lost it that's it which oddly enough even though we're talking about it i don't actually remember us watching gi joe all that much we played with the toys, I think, more than we actually watched the show. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I definitely remember 
bits, but like not much. Yeah, I, it was really all about the toys for us. Yeah, it was not a show I obsessed over. If you don't know much about G.I. Joe, you know, they've had some recent movies that have come out as well. So basically you get G.I. Joe is this tactical team, a specialty team for the U.S. military. And then they're always fighting the evil of Cobra, which is their evil counterpart. Every show is based around stopping Cobra from doing some kind of evil. Which is not what, I mean, the original G.I. Joe toy was just one soldier. It was one toy. Yeah, and his name was G.I. Joe. Joe was, yeah, it was G.I. <laughs> Joe was a person. It was the boy's equivalent of Barbie. It was the response to Barbie. And it was actually like a like a 10-inch doll, like the same size as Barbie. It wasn't until like the 80s when they shrunk everything down and, and you know, after actually, after George Lucas came out with the mini, like yes. the four-inch action figure for Star Wars, that's when everything else started to come out like that. But I, that was cool with me. I like the little small ones. I mean, I'm, I was very, very happy with the toys that we got. I was too. But yeah, so this show, uh, it had some some kind of crazy events in it too. It wasn't like always, it wasn't for a show that is like a military kind of based show, you would think that it might be grounded a little bit in reality. No, it was not. <laughs> I remember watching a show or one of the episodes, uh, it was called Skeletons in the Closet. One of the characters, like, I can't remember her name, but she found out that she was like the heiress of some fucking house in Scotland. And one, the voice acting was so bad. Like this fake Scottish accents were <laughs> god awful. But also there was just some some weird shit like going on in the episode. One, there was like this weird love triangle going on with Destro and the Baroness and someone else. <laughs> uh, it was just too weird it didn't make sense for for a kid to be watching what they were talking about that episode also dealt with ghosts it dealt with a secret demon cult and a demon it also dealt with human sacrifice and uh, a giant spider <laughs> like <laughs> It was just like, oh, okay, so this is not, like, real shit at all. Like, it was just, it was ridiculous. Well, uh, one of the episodes I watched um, dealt with a bunch of, actually kind of the lesser known Joes, uh, were sent to an alternate reality oh. <laughs> where Cobra had, had won and they had taken over the world. But you, you get an immediate sense of it's not real because they don't actually shoot bullets. They have guns that look like they shoot bullets, but they shoot lasers. It's that's kid stuff for you. Yeah. The the show it starred Christopher Collins, uh, who is actually also known as Christopher Lada. He changed his name. He was the voice of Cobra Commander. Governments of the world, the choice is yours. Surrender control of your nations to Cobra, or face the nightmarish prospect of a new dark age. When you think of the voices from that show, Cobra Commander's voice is probably the first one that you think of, at least for me. Yeah, I, I really only think of two. I think of Cobra Commander and Destro. Those are the only two voices that stick out to me. True, 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 true. Christopher Collins was also the voice of Starscream in the original Transformers. Well, as Megatron has, how shall we say, departed, I nominate myself as the new leader. Couple other voice actors, Michael Bill, uh, he played Duke. Okay, Joe's back to the carrier. We've still got a job to do. He was uh, famously for me, he was Chaz Finster, Chucky's dad in the show Rugrats. Oh, yeah. Ah, for the untroubled sleep of the innocent. I didn't know you were coming over. And he also voiced All Star, the main character in the show, Snorks. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Speeder has really got banana fish. 
There must be a way to stop him. And then Destro, who is also yeah probably the other main voice and definitely the other main villain, was voiced by a guy named Arthur Berghart. Your stupid bungled attempt to disintegrate New York has given our enemies the two commodities they must not be allowed: time and hope. Has done a bunch of other like cartoons and whatnot. He was also in Transformers. Looking up the credits for like most of the people in GI Joe, more than half of them also did voices in Transformers. Right. And then we can't go without saying the guy we mention almost every episode, Frank Welch did a shit ton of episodes on this show as well so he he voiced multiple different characters yeah um and of course because it's a cartoon and you have to have frank welker of course apparently filmation was the only studio that didn't use frank welker yeah yeah and that's why filmation sucked <laughs> no because filmation wasn't the only one that sucked gi joe had some problems too the animation was not very good it was pretty much on par in my opinion with like the he-man with the brave star i'm gonna disagree with you i think it was i'm not gonna say it was great but i was gonna say it was marginally better all right, I'll give you. I'll give you marginally better. Okay. <laughs> you fought hard for that marginally better, right there. Well, because I think it was better. I don't think it was amazing, but I think it was better. It still lacked some 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 low frame rate, but maybe not it maybe not as bad as the He Man and Brave Star. But also the sound editing was poor. That just made me disappointed. Like it, there was stuff where there should be background sounds, there should be some like ambiance, and there was nothing. Mm-hmm. But the thing I probably hated the most, the entire most of this show, was the fucking theme song. <laughs> There's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe is American hero. G.I. Joe is there. It's G.I. Joe against Cobra and Destro fighting to save the day. He never gives up. He's always there. Fighting for freedom over land and air. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe is the code name for America's daring, highly trained special mission force. Its purpose, to defend human freedom against Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. He never gives up. He'll stay till the fight's won. G.I. Joe will dare. G.I. Joe. It's so fucking bad, which is a shame because the 80s and 90s had some amazing theme songs. Yeah. This theme song was really, really bad. It was not one of my favorites for sure. It, I mean, the only part of it that's that it, for me is memorable is when they finally start singing G.I. Joe through American Hero. Yeah, the G.I. Joe. All the narration stuff and sort of half-sung, half-rapped explanation that goes into it was not... He'll fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. Awful. Fucking awful. Yeah. I think they were trying to be too patri- sort of patriotic, militaristic, march-sounding with some of that stuff. So, yeah, to me, it's not one of the better uh, openings. But a couple good things that this show had going for it was the ninjas. I want to just talk about the fucking ninjas. They're the two probably coolest characters in the entire fucking show are Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes is probably the coolest. Like, he is, like, maybe the most well-known character in the entire show funny story about snake eyes when they were creating the characters in the toy shop they were doing mock-ups of these characters and they were putting out the cost and realized that they had to save some money so they just created a character that was all black that was just a throwaway character they didn't think anyone was going to care 
about Snake Eyes because they had no color on him. It was all black. And they just did it to save money. But then he ended up being the most popular character. One thing that I kind of like that they did with uh, Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow is so Snake Eyes, even though he's like black and very mysterious and doesn't talk and he wears like all dark colors, he's the good guy. Yeah. And he is the G.I. Joe character where Storm Shadow, who is, you know, very honorable in his own essence, but he's bad. He's with Cobra and he wears all white. Mm -hmm. Typically, when you have an all white ninja and an all black ninja, it's the white's good and the black's bad. And they flip that for this. And I just it kind of it was fun. It kind of like is good that they did that i don't know i like that they kind of turned things on your head because you wouldn't expect you would expect snake eyes to be the bad guy but he wasn't right no i did like that too there was one thing though that did really bother me the constant flipping of cobra commander going between his cloth <laughs> mask with just the eye holes cut out or the like the helmet with the mirrorless face or the mirrored face or whatever yes sometimes in the same scene he would go between them <laughs> <laughs> and I've never understood what the reasoning for was why they would go in between them. Yeah, I, I, I was trying to rationale it out. I thought maybe like, you know, when he's at, at his home, you know, it's like it's like when you get home and you take your pants off. It's kind of like Cobra Commander with his mask and he's like he has the cloth mask. But when it's time for battle, you got to put your pants on. That's his battle mask is the silver thing. I don't maybe that's it. I, I'm not sure. I thought it was like maybe his battle helmet versus at home mask. I agree. Actually, that was something that like I specifically didn't like is that they went to back and forth like he just needed to have one look to it yeah i didn't get that yeah kids get confused very easily and that <laughs> that's one of the I things probably when i was a kid i don't remember this but i probably thought they were two different people yeah it's that's probably very easily to think that well one other like really good aspect that i want to bring up about this show is so they had a ton of characters and of course you know their reasons for that are to sell a bunch of toys of different character toys yeah so people can kind of collect them all. But what was nice, they had like their bunch of their different characters. They had like a character for everything. You know, it was like, oh, here's your ski G.I. Joe. Here's your G.I. Joe who's good underwater. Here's your G.I. Joe who's good in the desert. Here's your G.I. Joe who is good doing electrical stuff. Here's your weapons master. What ended up being good about that tactic is there was a lot of diversity and there had, you know, maybe some of it was a little bit of stereotypical, but they had a lot of diversity. And so a lot, doesn't matter what color you were, you know, you could be a GI Joe. And so I think that was kind of nice that they had with the tons of different characters. Cause there was, there was going to be a GI Joe like you. Yeah. Like if there was something that you were interested in, there was a GI Joe for that. And so that could kind of get you into it. So that that's, and then a girl, they had lady Jane on the good guys and bareness on the bad, you know, on the bad side. Yeah. They didn't have a ton of females, but they had some, and so they had enough to kind of like try and spread out as much as they could. Yeah, so I, I liked that aspect. Um, other than that, that's about all that I liked from the show. I watched a couple episodes from the the main series, like the 85 to 86 series. I think one from season one, one from season two. It was okay, but it's not one I'm going to go back and rewatch. It is not one that it, it, it may probably because we didn't watch a shit ton of it as a kid. So I didn't have the nostalgia. I mean, if I had the toys, maybe I could like put them together and pew pew and do stupid <laughs> little shit while I'm watching it. But on its own, the show doesn't stand up for me. It's not that fantastic. But the memories of the G.I. Joe toys, it's something that I'll never forget, something I loved. So it still put a smile on my face, but it wasn't because of the show. It was because of the toys, the joy I had with the toys. Yeah. One other thing, I, this bothered me now. I don't know if it, I don't remember if it bothered me then. There was one voice that annoyed the shit out of me rewatching this and that was a character called shipwreck cover girl and blowtorch i found him yeah! oh, beat it you crazy coyote 
Oh god, Shipwreck was so annoying. You're right. Because because it was a really bad Jack Nicholson impression. Yeah. <laughs> and and I understand like I've heard voice actors talk about a bad impression is still a new voice. You can use that, but it was so obviously a bad Jack Nicholson impression. To me it didn't fit that character at all and it, every time he was on because I, wa- I watched like seven or eight episodes. But every every time he was on it, I'm like, God, I have to listen to this guy's like voice fuck my ear hole. And yeah. not, <laughs> I'm just not happy about it. But uh, yeah, I to me, I, the, the, the idea of G.I. Joe is much more fun as a toy. Who knows? Maybe the comics were good. I'd never read them, so I don't know. Me neither. To me, I'm much more nostalgic about the toys of G.I. Joe than I, I really, really am against uh, or for the show. So uh, I, I liked, yeah, Cobra Commander was okay. Him and Destro were probably my two favorites other than the ninjas. Right. Which is weird because they, it made, they made them out to be like a bickering old couple. They really did. <laughs> Yeah, they were they were kind of ridiculous. So, uh, GI Joe, you can just leave it. Just go. Yeah, nothing special. Go Joe, literally into yeah. the past. <laughs> go get out of here. And, and I have a feeling I'm gonna have I'm gonna hear from some friends who I know listen to listen to our show who love GI Joe and are not gonna like my assessment of this. But, yeah, uh, they can start their own. They can get their own damn podcast. Yeah, <laughs> they can start their own damn podcast. This episode of the Blast From Our Past podcast is brought to you by the U.S. Army. You're reaching deep inside you for things you've never known. It's been tough, rough going, but you haven't gone alone. We do more before 9 a.m. than most people do all day. Hey, First Sergeant. Good morning. All right, and now we're going to do our casting portion, and we're actually going to recast the movie Sniper, which I actually think is something that could be done today. They're, I mean, they're still making the <laughs> the series. I know. But they could revamp Nobody it. knows it. I mean, I, I only knew of a few of them, and you just enlightened me that they just released a new one, so they could redo it in my eyes. And But there's actually a, a shorter casting. We only have six characters that we're going to do. We'll do the two big ones, Beckett and Miller. Really, only those two matter, <laughs> the Beckett and Miller. Everyone else is just kind of extra. Yeah, everyone else is kind of extra. That you 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 know you have a good Beckett and good Miller. Um, El Cirujano, you could add some stuff there. Most of these characters could add you could add to it. Um, we're gonna do Ochoa, even though Ochoa doesn't really talk in the whole film, but he's the only other main. He he has maybe maybe thirty seconds of screen time. Doesn't say a word and gets shot. Right. Well, <laughs> we also remember when we uh, when when we cast uh, Red Sonia, we also did Bright Tag, and Bright Tag was only on screen for maybe like five minutes. So true. I mean, they could add a little bit more to it. Uh, we'll also do Da Silva, the uh, sniper who follows them which also doesn't have any lines but to me that's a big plot point yeah is, is the guy who's chasing them and then alvarez the general the rebel leader yeah the general so we'll just kind of stick with those guys uh i'll just work backwards from that list i might jump around but we're gonna leave beckett and miller for the end because those are our two big guys and we want to we'll do that so uh we'll just start with we'll start with uh alvarez actually we'll just start with alvarez the the uh, rebel leader you know i just kind of sort of cast on look and a good actor this part is not terribly dynamic but i actually i went with a guy who's mostly known for playing good guys i've seen him play a couple of bad guys a few times and he's pretty good at it i didn't pick 
pick him for anything other than I think he's a good actor. He kind of looks like he could play the part. I chose uh, Benjamin Bratt for Alvarez. Oh, okay. Yeah, he is typically like a good guy. Yeah, he's kind of got like a baby face. So I'm not sure if I would believe him as a bad guy, but I, I you know what? He, he's a good actor, so he, he probably would be okay. Slap a goatee on him or something. He'll Yeah, <laughs> an evil goatee. Boom. There you go. That's all you need. For my Alvarez, uh, I went with... Uh, an actor he could probably look a little bit more evil he's a really good actor maybe he could help add some stuff to this Alvarez and you actually picked him for your Dr. Doom I went with Pedro Pascal as my Alvarez. I actually had Pedro Pascal on my list for a different character on this, but Pedro Pascal was somebody I thought of for this casting. Not necessarily for Alvarez, but I did think of that for them. That is a good choice. I mean, he he plays a good, both good guy and bad guy. Okay, uh, De Silva. De Silva, the Panamanian uh, sniper trained by Beckett. Again, pretty much anyone could play this. Yeah, because there, there is no depth to the character. All you know is he's a Panamanian local and he was trained by Beckett. And so he's just got to follow them around and, and try and kill him. Yeah. So probably not someone too old. Not too old. But, but besides that, that's all you need. I'll let you go first on this one. So as I mentioned, yeah, the guy needs to look Hispanic because in my film, it's still set in Panama. So a Hispanic actor, or at least someone who looks Hispanic. And to me, I kind of picked this fairly younger looking actor. He's not a kid by any means, but someone who I think Beckett may be like trained up from the locals. I went with an actor who I liked a lot in, I think it was season five of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show. And he played Ghost Rider. Oh, yeah. His name is Gabriel Luna. I think he's pretty solid and he's going to be coming up and up, I think, as a really good actor. So he is my De Silva. Yeah, I liked his Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. You know what? I might end up liking your pick better in this one because i think i went a little too caucasian in my choice okay <laughs> um, i will say this full disclosure up until recently i actually had De silva as pedro pascal oh okay but i decided to change that i actually went with a character who kind of looked similar to the guy who played De silva Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, he, he, but he did look a little a little whitey, but that's okay. I mean, there's white South American looking people that who don't have that well, look. S- skin tones change all over the world, so. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I actually went with uh, an actor best known for uh, a TV show that was on the USA Network called Burn Notice. I'm with a guy named Jeffrey Donovan. Oh, yeah, I definitely have seen him before. Oh, yeah, and he was, and I think I saw him in Sicario. Yeah, 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 yeah. A good actor. I like him. Yeah, I uh, I could see him in another role, too, because he, he has a little bit of a sleaze look to him. So, all right. But yeah, I like that call. Okay. I think your choice probably makes more sense. And I actually, I like that he's a little bit younger, too. So I'm going to default to you on that. On that Sweet. One. I'll take it. Okay. Ochoa. Dude's not on screen all that much. <laughs> Doesn't talk at all. For my Ochoa, I decided to make it a throwback since we're redoing the universe. And I put Billy Zane as my Ochoa. <laughs> okay. He's older now. Yeah, Panama local, or he doesn't really have to be a Panama local, but he's like the local drug lord. Well, he's a Colombian drug lord. They say he's that a Colombian drug lord. Okay. He's Colombian. Okay. He's not. Uh, he's not local. He's not Panamanian. Okay. I don't. I don't hate that choice. For me, it's just a. It's a nod to the original. So. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So I went with. Uh, an actor named Stephen Bauer. He was in Scarface and more recently in Ray Donovan. I think you would recognize him, but he's got a drug lord look to him. Like He just looks like he would sell you bags upon bags of coke. Yeah, that's a good pick. It's hard to say like anything. He hasn't done like anything very big recently, but he kind of looks like a Hispanic Willem Dafoe. I, I mean, in, in some of his pictures. Yeah, I can kind of see that. But yeah, some of his uh, more recent like stuff that I've seen, like just of his other pictures. But he was in Primal Fear. He was in Traffic and he was in Scarface. But I think I think he's got a look to him that he could be, you know, a, a 
lesser Ochoa is not a big character, but someone who who looks like he could sell some drugs. Yeah, so that's I, it. I don't I don't hate your pick. I think more my pick is more fun because I'm throwing back. Yeah, yeah, probably. But uh, like I said, it's not a dynamic character. It doesn't do much other than he gets killed. True. All right, we're moving on quick. El Cirano. We never really learned his name. I don't think. I don't think we did. I don't think they mentioned his name at all. Yeah, I think he's just yeah he's the surgeon. Like, yeah, that's him. We know he's a former CIA agent gone bad. Yeah, I bet you could do something a little bit more dynamic with him. I mean, he's very he's gone rogue. He's a little sadistic. Definitely some sadistic stuff. I went with a, a guy who kind of looks badass. He's a little bit older now, but this uh, this part wouldn't require too much fighting on his part. I went with with uh, Ron Perlman. Oh, Ron Perlman would be very be very intimidating doing the torture. Yeah, looks intimidating. Can be mean. I went. I went a very different look than than Ron Perlman. Okay. I went with kind of like the sleaze looking aspect. To, if I was to think of a CIA agent who kind of defected and went over to the cartel side, you'd probably have to be a sleazy asshole. And so I got with a guy who I think who can do the sleazy asshole, but he also has enough, I think, look to him that he could probably pull off like the sadistic side as well. I haven't seen him really do anything like like a bad guy role. He's been in Law and Order SVU for a long time, but he's probably most famous for his Allstate commercials. He plays the mayhem guy. So get Allstate. You can save money and be better protected from mayhem like me. Oh, yeah. He's got a good look to him for like a, a former CIA agent, and his name is Dean Winters. Okay, that's an interesting choice. I wanted to go a little little out of the box. That's an interesting choice. I don't know if I, I don't hate your choice, but I don't, I don't know. I don't think there's a clear winner in that one. No, I, I mean, I like my choice better than yours, and you probably like your, your choice better than mine. Yeah, the real argument may come out in the in the Miller and Beckett casting. Uh, so now our two our two uh, protagonists and antagonists, sort of in a way, with each other. Yeah. Do you want to start with Miller or Beckett? Uh, maybe Miller. Miller. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, Beckett's our main guy. Yeah. All right, so Miller, he's sort of the novice. He's got to have a journey where he's kind of comes in with an attitude, but nothing to back it up, mm-hmm. and then has to go through the process to kind of get him to the end. For some reason, I thought of this guy immediately. I'm seeing more and more stuff with him in it, and I'm liking what I'm seeing. He recently played a bad guy in a Marvel film, but I, I like where he's going, and I actually went with Michael B. Jordan for Miller. Oh, okay. I, I'm going to tell you, I had this whole speech that I was going to say about Michael B. Jordan's a fantastic choice, mm. and I want him as my Miller as well. I wrote down Michael B. Jordan and underlined it because I have this whole speech of saying, if I absolutely had my pick... I would pick Michael B. Jordan. He was the first thing that came to mind. Me too. Um, well, yeah, he was right up there. Exactly. He was like my number one choice. Mm-hmm. And I want him. He would pull off the like, just got out of school, a little too cocky, but also a little bit scared kind of thing. He would be, he's, he's one of our top actors right now. Yeah. And I was, I was I'm going to have this whole speech of like, I can't choose my number one Beckett and my number one Miller because I've already used them so many times <laughs> in our castings. And Michael B. Jordan, I've already cast him twice, so I'm not going to cast him again. Okay. But your choice wins. It's already, I love that one. But I <laughs> have another guy who is a very good actor and actually he acted side by side with michael b jordan in black panther but that's not why i put i chose him i actually chose him because of his acting in get out daniel kaluuya great actor oh yeah he's a good up-and-comer that's who i ultimately went with for a second i wanted to go with adam driver because he was actually in the marines right for two years and so i thought that would be kind of cool but once i got michael b jordan in my head i was like fuck i want michael b jordan but i can't pick him because i pick him too much so then i shifted over to Daniel Kaluuya and he would be a great choice as well. So my choice is good, but your choice is actually who I really wanted anyway. (laughs) (laughs) The only problem, I don't know. And and maybe it's just me. I I, I have a problem seeing 
Daniel Kaluuya in a, or Kaluuya, I apologize if I screw his name up, in sort of a military role. He's not as, like, yeah, Michael B. Jordan is much more military. As I say, and that's not to say he couldn't do it. I would just need to yeah. see it. But in my head, I don't see that. Because even, even in Black Panther, he doesn't really come off that way. I think that's part of the point with Miller, is Miller is not a military guy. He's, I mean, he's a regular, he's a SWAT, a regular SWAT guy, but right. you know what I mean. He's more of like the Olympian, like the high class kind of dude. But I, you know what? I don't know. I, I love the other choice too, so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So now uh, Beckett, our, our grizzled vet. I'll, you know what? I'll let you go first on this one. Okay. So if I had my absolute like top choice, but I've used him a hundred times, it would be Tom Hardy. He, to me, is like, I think perfect for this role. And so I immediately, I would want Tom Hardy and Michael B. Jordan as my Beckett Miller. And I think they would be fantastic. They're two of our best actors right now, but I don't want to use them for everything. So I went very stereotypical. Someone who is a great actor and who has played a very similar role in The Hurt Locker, who was a military guy who just couldn't get out of it. And he kind of like his role was to keep going back in very similar to Beckett. And he's a little bit older now than he was in Hurt Locker to where I think, you know, he could really play a gristled vet really well. I mean, he's a little bit very much more sillier as Hawkeye, but I think, you know, as an actor, he's fantastic and he could turn on the badass of Beckett. I went with Jeremy Renner. You know what? I like that pick. I like that pick. Um, and it could work. Knowing what my pick is, I would be fine with either one. Your pick or my cool. pick. Um, I don't know how you're going to feel about my pick. But you know what? I didn't think of Jeremy Renner. And I think that... Uh, I actually think I like Jeremy Renner more than I like Tom Hardy. Okay. I mean, he, he's played something similar, and so he could really do it. Yeah. And yeah, he's, he's great. So I, I mean, I don't dislike either pick i think jeremy renner is a fantastic choice but like my the first one i thought of was tom hardy but once i really really thought into it jeremy renner came up and i'm like oh yeah i think he would do i that. like jeremy renner and i hopefully you like what i picked um i picked a guy who's um really big right now and kind of has played the two characters i most know him for in my mind are actually kind of similar they're very sarcastic assholes he played the comedian and watchman he's playing negan and walking dead i think he would work really well in this sort of thing i went with jeffrey dean morgan he He's really like rough. Like he could be so rough. Yeah, he's sarcastic and whatnot, but like he would also be such a badass. I like that choice because he would turn well, in on. My, yeah. In my mind, I think he would work really well with Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. And that to me, the pairing of Michael B. Jordan and Jeffrey Dean Morgan was sort of where I started from. Those two guys together playing off each other, I think would work really well. That'd be good. All right. Nice. Yeah, I don't I don't dislike that one. So, yeah, you have uh, Michael B. Jordan and Jeffrey Dean Morgan. And I've got Jeremy Renner and Daniel Kaluuya. So, well, there you go. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Pretty good. There wasn't really uh, wasn't really too much too much to argue about. Uh, like I said, we did, yeah. <laughs> this movie rides on your two main guys, yes. Beckett Miller. It's kind of you know it's kind of like Castaway. If we tried to recast Castaway, the only person that matters is the fucking Tom Hanks role. What about Wilson, John? You got to pick out the football. Who's gonna be the uh, the fucking volleyball? I think I think Jack Black would be a perfect Wilson. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> of course you yeah. do. All right. Well, that was our casting for a revamped sniper movie. Please join us next time for a kick-ass episode. We review the 1995 film Mortal Kombat, we review the 90s show Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and we do a recasting of Mortal Kombat. If you have any questions or any suggestions for movies or TV shows you'd like for us to review as part of your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at at blastpastcast, that's at 
Blast Past Cast on both Facebook and Twitter. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. <laughs>